Revelation chapter 7. We're going to be studying this evening at chapter 7 verses 1 to 8. Verses 1 to 8. As we see here in this passage, God saves and seals his saints. God saves and seals his saints. Well, for most of us, uh, certain numbers hold significance for us that perhaps they don't hold for everyone. Uh, 2015 was the year that Hannah and I got married, also the year that I was ordained and installed into gospel ministry. And so it's a year that tends to stick out in my mind, perhaps more than it sticks out in the minds of others. Uh, For those of us interested in sport, perhaps uh, certain shirt numbers remind us of our favourite players. Uh, Stephen Gerrard wearing number eight for Liverpool, uh, Eric Cantona or Cristiano Ronaldo wearing number seven for Manchester United. 007 is instantly recognised by moviegoers as James Bond's number. We hear certain numbers and they immediately mean something to us. They're, they're almost symbolic to us. Well, today we're, we're dealing with a number here in Revelation 7, perhaps the largest number mentioned in the whole book, and it's a book full of numbers. But here we see the number 144,000. It's a number that has been quite widely interpreted and at times even intensely debated amongst Christians and others as well as to what it really means. We'll deal with some of the discussion around this number shortly. But we need to realise as we begin this evening, friends, that this number of 144,000 people, it's part of the answer to a question that was asked at the end of Revelation chapter 6. We finished chapter 6 last week on a cliffhanger. We saw how as the Lamb of Heaven opened the first four seals of the scroll, the four riders on four horses went out across the earth. And through these four horses, though they were under the control of the Lamb, they bring pain on the earth. Notice the end of chapter 6 and verse (coughs) 8. They were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. With the Lamb enthroned in heaven at his command, These four horses ride out in judgment over the earth, bringing pain, plague and death. All before the the last judgment, the last day comes. And the cliffhanger question asked in chapter 6 verse 17, as that last day approaches, the question asked is this, the great day of their wrath has come, that's the wrath of God and the Lamb, and who can stand? Who can stand? Who's going to be able to bear and endure the day of judgment? There's only one seal left for the Lamb to open. Surely we think judgment day is what we're about to read about. And surely no one can stand in the presence of the Lamb. But instead of the Lamb opening the seventh seal, instead of judgment day, we have Revelation chapter 7 and we get an answer to the question, who can stand? And it's a better answer than we could possibly have hoped for. Twice in chapter 7 we're told that in fact there are some 
There is a group of people assembled together who will escape the judgment. And chapter 7 describes this group of people in two different ways. Chapter 7 verse 4 describes them as the 144,000 sealed from every tribe of Israel. That's the first description. And then chapter 7 verse 9 describes them as a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing. Notice the word standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Who can stand? These people can stand. And we have two different pictures here, friends, to describe the same group of people. The people ransomed by the blood of the Lamb, of the Lord Jesus Christ, who by faith in him will escape the final judgment. And so we're going to think this evening just about the first picture, uh, the picture uh, of God's people, the 144,000 sealed. I want to ask three questions about the 144,000 sealed. And the first question we need to ask is, who are the 144,000 sealed? Who are they exactly? Because among genuine Bible-believing Christians, there is quite a bit of debate about the answer to this question. And even among others, cults, cults weigh in for what it's worth on this question. Jehovah's Witnesses, Seventh-day Adventists, they have their views on this as well. Let me just briefly, and I hope this will be helpful, but let me briefly give you a few of the most popular suggestions about who the 144,000 are. First of all, Jehovah's Witnesses believe that this 144,000 are those of their religion who will be taken straight to heaven at some point in the future and who will remain in heaven rather than on the new earth. And I tell you that just in case you ever find yourself in conversation with Jehovah's Witnesses. We don't have time to go into more of their beliefs, but that's what they believe, that 144,000 of their religion will be taken straight to heaven, the rest will be on their version of the new earth. Some Christians then, others, uh, uh, some, some Christians take this list of 144,000, they take it literally. That is, they believe that there really will be 144,000 Jewish converts to Christianity. Uh, and they believe, these particular Christians believe that at some point in the future, the Christian church will be raptured. They believe in something called the secret rapture. Some of you may be familiar with it. And they believe that at that point, uh, the Christian church will be swept away up into heaven. And there will be a particularly awful time of destruction, trial, devastation upon the earth. During which time, 144,000 Jewish people will be saved. Christians who hold to this view uh, point to verse 4 and they take verse 4 literally when it says that these 144,000 are from every tribe of Israel. And they take that to refer to ethnic Israel, uh, the Jewish people. And so they believe the 144,000 to be converted Jewish people after the rapture. Again, we don't have time to get into too much more of the beliefs around that. But Christians who hold to that essentially believe that God has two peoples. He has the Jews and he has the church. 
And they believe that since Jesus was in the first place a Jewish Messiah, but the Jews largely rejected Jesus when he came, uh, then Jesus, of course, turned to the Gentiles, uh, hence the creation of the Christian church. Nonetheless, these Christians believe Jews will get one last chance to repent after the church has been raptured off the earth and 144,000 will be saved. You may or may not have heard much about these beliefs, but in some parts of the Christian world today, particularly in the, in the United States, this is a very common belief. In some places, it would even be a majority belief among many Christians who've been influenced uh, by dispensational teaching. Other Christians believe that the number of 144,000, like virtually every other number in the book of Revelation, is not a literal number, but it's a symbolic number. It's a symbol not just of some Jewish believers, but of all believers. Jew and Gentile, Old Testament and New Testament, the entire Christian church throughout history. Those holding to this view point out that here in verse 3, the angel describes those to be sealed as the servants of our God. They're described in chapter 14, which we read earlier, as those redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And everywhere else in Revelation, when uh, that phrase is used, servants of God, it's referring to the church, to all believers, past, present and future. And it probably won't surprise you at this point that this is the view that I take in this passage, along with quite a few other Reformed preachers and writers that are far smarter than me when it comes to studying the book of Revelation. Uh, but there are some objections made to, to taking the, the number symbolically, uh, and I think it's helpful to deal with those. One of the objections that some Christians make uh, to taking this as a, as a symbolic number is they say, well, if you start taking numbers in the Bible as symbolic, where does it end? Uh, and some very sincere Christians would say, well, you know, what's to stop people then saying that the six days of creation in Genesis 1 are just symbolic? Well, the reason we're not going to do that is because Genesis and Revelation are two different kinds of books. Revelation tells us right at the beginning what kind of book it is. Chapter 1 verse 1 says the revelation or the apocalypse of Jesus Christ. And that's telling us what type of book this is. An apocalyptic book. And in the ancient world there were tons of apocalyptic books. This one has been written of course under the power and direction and inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But an apocalyptic book friends is a book full of pictures and symbols. Genesis is not an apocalyptic book. Genesis is first and foremost a history book. And just as you don't use a history textbook the same way that you use a copy of Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet, we don't use Revelation the same way that we use other books of the Bible. or We don't interpret it in the same way as we would interpret other books of the Bible. It's a book of pictures. It's a book of symbols by definition. Another objection that some of our fellow Christians make against understanding this number 144,000 as a symbolic number is because it's described as the 144,000 sealed from the tribes of Israel. 
And since it specifically says Israel, some Christians would say, well, how can we claim that it applies to the church? Surely this applies only to Jewish people. But with the greatest respect to those who make that objection, they're missing a very simple point, which is that both the Old and New Testaments refer to the whole church as the true Israel over and over again. Jews and Gentiles together, all believers, are the, are the Israel, the chosen people of God. For example, Paul says in Galatians 3 verse 28, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus In other words, if you believe Jesus to be the Messiah promised first to the Jews, but to all people as well, whether you were born a Jew or not, you are part of the people of God. We all have the same status. Men and women, boys and girls, Jew and Gentile, you are part of the people of God, Israel. Paul goes on, Galatians 3.29, If you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Let's not miss the significance of that, friends. Paul is saying that being a child of Abraham is not about biology. It's about covenant. It's about having the same faith that Abraham had, not the same ethnicity that Abraham had. And what was God's promise to Abraham? You shall be the father of many nations. The people from all nations will will share the same faith as Abraham had. Paul goes on, Galatians 6 Verse 15, he says, Neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. The Israel of God. Who's Paul talking about when he says that? All believers. This is Paul, who had more reason to Uh, Be proud of his Jewishness than anyone else. And he talks about that in some of the other letters. And here he says, that badge of honour that Jews held to, circumcision and keeping the law and all those things, it doesn't count for anything. It's faith in Christ that makes us part of the Israel of God. There are other places we could turn to, to to flesh this out more, friends. But the point is that describing all the people of God both Jew and Gentile, as Israel. That comes very naturally to the writers of the New Testament. It's even something that was prophesied in the Old Testament. You can read uh, chapters like Isaiah 43, Isaiah 45, and you see those things coming through. So who are these 144,000? It's a large number. It's a complete number. And it symbolizes all the people of God, past, present and future. And it's telling us, friends, in this symbolic way that the true people of God are known to him and they have been chosen by him. He knows those who are his. And that leads us on to a second question this evening. I thought about who uh, these 144,000 sealed are. Second question, when were they sealed? When were they sealed? When were they chosen by God? 
Well, I mentioned earlier that having read about the first six seals of the scroll being opened in Revelation chapter 6, you would expect that the next thing that we read about is the opening of the seventh seal and of Judgment Day, which Revelation 6 has taken us right up to Judgment Day, and you would expect that to be to be next, the seventh seal. But that doesn't happen. You'll notice in your Bibles, the seventh seal isn't opened until chapter 8. Instead, we have Revelation chapter 7 and these two pictures of the people of God. And in fact, in chapter 7, John is taking us back to before chapter 6. John has shown something important now that happened before the four horsemen ride out bringing pain and destruction on the earth. How do we know that? Well, look at chapter 7, verse 1. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Notice the number four appearing again. Remember, we had four horses in chapter 6. Here we have four winds that are going to blow across the earth. Several times in the Old Testament, the word wind is a symbol of God's acts of judgment. For example, in Exodus chapter 10, verse 13, a wind from the east, we're told, brought the plague of locusts on Egypt. Jeremiah 49, verse 3, also mentions four winds bringing God's judgment on his enemies. So in chapter 6, we had God's judgments on the earth described as four horsemen. And now in chapter 7, we have those judgments described as four winds. And we've been taken back to a moment before those destructive winds begin to blow. Look at chapter 7, verse 3. Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees, notice, until we have sealed the servants of God on their foreheads. So friends, notice this. Before trouble ever comes upon this world, God in his sovereignty, in his mercy and grace, has chosen those whom he will save and seal and make to be his people. A seal in the ancient world was a mark of ownership. In fact, in some ways, it's still a mark of ownership today. Very occasionally, you you, you still come across important documents that bear a stamp or a seal. Uh, Perhaps when you're buying a house or or writing your will, uh, that stamp is a mark of authenticity. uh, That the document really does belong to the solicitor or the buyer or uh, whoever it is that he or she has attached their name to it. They lay claim to it. They own it. And that's what God has done for all his people throughout history. He has laid claim to us. He has attached his name to us. He says, we belong to him. In the Old Testament, one of the pieces of clothing uh, that the high priest had to wear, or the priests when they were, when they were serving at the tabernacle or the temple, uh, they had to wear a turban on their heads. And at the front of the turban, sitting in the center of their foreheads, was a golden seal. And on that golden seal was inscribed the words, 
set apart for the Lord, holy unto the Lord. And you see, friends, now in Jesus Christ, the Lamb, all God's people are set apart. They are holy unto him. We belong to him. 2 Timothy 2 verse 19 says, The Lord knows those who are his. And when did God set us apart? When did he choose us? Was it when he had had a good look at us and thought, well, you know, compared to those other people in the world, these ones aren't half bad. I'll maybe, I'll maybe choose them. Did he wait to see how much we give to charity or how, much we, how often we go to church? Did he wait to see how many nice things we, we did for other people? Did he compare us to others? No. Friends, he has set us apart before the foundations of the world. Before the earth came into existence, before we had done good or bad, before death and destruction came into this world as a result of our sin, before the four winds of punishment and pain began to blow across the earth, friends, God had laid claim to us. Look at Revelation 7 verse 3 again. Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. Our being chosen, our being sealed, was decided in eternity past. Before we had done good or bad, before anything else had happened on this earth. Listen to how Paul says it in Ephesians 1 verse 4. He, that's God the Father, chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us. For adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. According to the purpose of his will. Friends God has laid claim on us. He has put his mark of ownership upon us. Since before the foundations of the world. The seal isn't physical. It's spiritual. The seal of God on us is the Holy Spirit. Who comes to dwell in each of us who are saved by faith. Paul goes on to say Ephesians 1.13. In him you also when you heard the word of truth. The gospel of your salvation and believed in him. Were sealed. With the promised Holy Spirit. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance. Until we acquire possession of it. Again like that stamp that. That seal on the legal document, the guarantee, I will purchase this property. This is my will for when I am gone. The Holy Spirit is a seal, a down payment, a guarantee of our salvation. God chose us before the foundations of the world and he seals us with his Holy Spirit entering into our lives. Friends, what Revelation 7 is ultimately showing us is the sovereignty of God and our salvation. One of the great truths that was celebrated and recaptured and taught in the reformers and the Puritans and, uh, and their spiritual descendants, that salvation is from the Lord. Salvation is about what he does. He chooses us. He saves us. He seals us. We will make it to the end because he has said so. 
and because he will give us the power and because he has decided. Is that not so comforting to you today, dear Christian friend? Does that not comfort you to know that even though you sometimes stumble over the same silly sins again and again, even though we see so clearly and painfully the areas of our lives which are not yet conformed to the image of Christ, even though we get discouraged by the mess the world is in, never mind the mess the living room is in, our salvation cannot be lost. Your salvation doesn't depend on you and it doesn't depend on me. It doesn't depend on our church being big and popular. It doesn't depend on us being the greatest or the smartest or the strongest. Our salvation is sealed by God. Before the winds of death and destruction even began to blow across this world, he had chosen, he had decided, and he had sealed us. When the great day of the wrath of God and the Lamb finally comes upon the world, who will be able to stand? It will be those who are sealed. A fixed, certain, complete number known and chosen by God. Do you love to worship God? Do you love to find ways of serving God using the gifts that we were thinking about a few weeks ago? Encouraging others, teaching the Bible, raising your children, giving generously, sharing the gospel. Friends, those are the marks of men and women and boys and girls sealed. Belonging to Christ. Maybe you're not so sure tonight whether you're sealed or not. Maybe the things I've just described, whether you're here in person or whether you're listening online, these things don't describe your life. Maybe you think, I don't think I'm sealed and I don't think I need to be sealed. So what? Well, let's think thirdly and finally this evening about why this 144,000 must be sealed. We've thought about who they are. We've thought about when they were sealed. And finally, we think about why they must be sealed. And quite simply, friends, the 144,000 need to be sealed because days of difficulty and then the day of judgment are coming. Days of difficulty and then the day of judgment are coming. Again, the placement of chapter 7 is very important. We considered last week the terrible trials and pains that all of us experience in this world. Symbolized by the four riders on the four horses in chapter 6 and by the winds in chapter 7. And we all experience those things. War, famine, viruses, sickness, death, Christians as well as non-Christians Go through those things. But you see, it's only the sealed who have any hope of something better beyond those things. Look at chapter 7, verse 14. These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God. In other words, they're in heaven. They're able to stand. They've made it through. But notice, friends, they come out of the tribulation. They don't escape the tribulation. They come through war, economic ups and downs, persecution, illness, perhaps even physical death itself. They didn't necessarily escape those things. For a short while here on earth, they had to suffer those things. 
But being sealed by God meant that they made it through those things to something better on the other side. Sama says, though I go through the valley of the shadow of death. And this is the Christian's great hope, friends. This is why we are to have faith, not fear, in days of pandemic and a skyrocketing cost of living and wars and rumours of wars. We're to have faith, not fear, because we've been sealed by the Lamb, by his work on the cross, his death and resurrection, his taking away the punishment for our sins, his sealing us with the Holy Spirit. Psalm 91 verse 9 says, Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. Psalm 121, we sang it earlier, the Lord will keep you from all harm. What do those words really mean? How can we sing those words in the world in which we live? How do they bring comfort, for example, in the wake of a loved one's passing? We sing them, friends, because they tell us that we're sealed. They tell us that though we endure trouble and trial now, glory lies ahead. Freedom from these things lies ahead. The lamb is slain but standing. And those who are sealed by his blood and by his spirit will also be standing in the day when the tribulations are over. That's why it's important for you to know with total assurance tonight that you are saved. Are you? Have you confessed your sins to the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you placed your trust in the one whose sacrifice covers over a multitude of sins, whose blood has atoned for the sins of men and women and boys and girls? Are you part of this 144,000 sealed, the true Israel, the people of God? Maybe you think, is there really a place for me among God's people? Is there a place for someone who has done the things that I've done, said the things that I've said, thought the things that I've thought? Well, the wonderful thing about this list of the 144,000 is that it seems to scream at us. That there is hope for all kinds of people. As long as they repent of their sin. Pastor Vody Bauckham among others has pointed out that there's more to this list. In verses 5 to 8 if you cast your eye over it. There's more to this list of the 12 tribes. The 12,000 from each tribe. There's more to it than meets the eye. For one thing Judah is mentioned first. Even though Judah was actually the fourth-born son of Jacob, of Israel. Uh, Judah is named first because it was into the line of Judah that the Lord Jesus Christ, the Saviour, was born, bringing redemption for all these people. Just as remarkable as that is the fact that the name Reuben is included at all. Uh, Reuben was Israel's first-born son, but he committed despicable sexual sin for which his father punished him, by taking away the firstborn privileges. And yet Reuben's name is here. Perhaps reminding us that even those who have committed shameful perverted sin. Can repent 
and be sealed. Next in the list come Gad, Asher and Naphtali. Gad, Asher and Naphtali were all the sons of concubines, mistresses of Jacob. These are illegitimate sons. They would have been looked down on and sneered at and treated as second class citizens by their brothers. But friends, even outcasts, even those who are maligned, whose reputations are rather notorious, even they can repent and be sealed. Next comes Manasseh, who was actually the son of Joseph, not the son of Jacob. Manasseh's mother was an Egyptian. Possibly her father was a pagan priest in Egypt. And she wasn't, so she wasn't an Israelite. She was a pagan. As Barkham says, Manasseh is actually a Gentile. Manasseh is another outcast. But friends, God welcomes Gentiles and outcasts. God seals Gentiles and we, come, we become part of the true Israel of God. And then we have Simeon and Levi. The tribe of Levi, uh, when Israel arrived in the promised land, they divided up the land amongst the tribes. Every tribe got their share, but Levi didn't get any share at all because the Levites became the priests. And so they didn't get a fixed portion of the land. But here's Levi, and he has his fair share amongst the 144,000. That's because, friends, we're all priests We're all set apart to serve under Christ. And so Levi is just one of the many who make up the servants of God. The point is, friends, this list is full of the names of imperfect men. And yet together, this is people made perfect by the blood of the Lamb. The holy, set apart people of God. 144,000 12 times 12 times 1,000. Maz was never my strong suit at school, but I'm pretty sure the Maz is right on this one. 12 and 1,000 are two more numbers of perfection and completion in the Bible. Read Revelation 21 when you go home and you'll see the number 12 repeated over and over again describing the new Jerusalem. We saw in chapter 4, 24 elders in heaven, the church represented by the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ, all God's people. And likewise here, 12 times 12 times 1,000, a huge, perfect, complete number. See, friends, God takes imperfect people, the Reubens and the Manasses and the Judas, Jew and Gentile, male and female, and he makes us perfect. And he seals us and he protects us and he gives us the hope of everlasting life. There are also two names missing from the 12 tribes here in verses 5 to 8. Two tribes of Israel are actually left out altogether, Ephraim and Dan. Why are they left out? Well, Ephraim was the son of Joseph and so perhaps Ephraim is represented under the name of Joseph. But as you read through books like Judges and First and Second Kings, you find that the tribe of Dan was often a tribe that worshipped false gods. It committed 
idolatry and all the sins that went with idolatry in the Old Testament. Sexual sin, violence, injustice. And as we'll see later in Revelation, if like the tribe of Dan in the Old Testament, if like them you worship and serve created things, false religions, political causes, warfare, even the human body itself, which is perhaps being worshipped more than anything else in our country today, If you worship those idols, then you cannot be a part of the true Israel of God. You'll have a different mark altogether on your forehead, the mark of judgment. And so which is it for you? Is your life marked by living for worshipping possessions, entertainment, sport, yourself, your image? Or do you belong to the Lamb? Are you part of the 144,000 sealed, the Israel of God? Do you have the hope that when the trials of this life are over, everlasting life will be yours to enjoy? Who will be able to stand on the day of the Lamb's wrath? It will be the 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. By God's grace, friends, may we know with assurance that we are included in that great number. Amen.